you have to determine what you need versus what you want in a house. Understanding the difference between needs and wants, it's important because once you start looking, you'll need to prioritize your needs over those wants. Welcome to Getting Money Right with Leo Sabo and David Thompson. In this episode, we continue our conversation on buying a home. This is part two. And so if you've not listened to part one, go back and listen to that part. And uh, we're excited about continuing this conversation and diving a little deeper on how to purchase a home and how to make that decision wisely. And hopefully you can buy a home that you can enjoy for a long time. That's right. And I love talking about homes, buying a home, getting into getting you into a house that you're going to enjoy for a long time, that be a blessing to your family and a blessing to your finances. So let's start by just pointing out that we're talking about mortgages right now. And mortgage, it actually, if you break it down in the Latin, it's mort, which means death, mm-hmm. and gauge, which means pledge. So in the Latin, it is a death pledge. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> if you've got a 30-year loan, in some ways they're thinking, hey, this is a pledge all the way until you die. And uh, originally, if you didn't pay your mortgage, they're going to come take your house away and mm-hmm. you might not live from it. So it is a death pledge. And I just think that's too funny. Uh, originally, it was Latin and then you'll see it move into the French. So it was the mortgage. So I don't know how you say that <laughs> in French, but you know, it'd be very, very beautiful. I, I don't imagine. care how you say it. It's still <laughs> bad. <laughs> That's right. So when we're looking at mortgages and we're looking at homes, this is the episode that we're talking about how much can you afford. And Leo and I are going to break down the actual numbers uh, based on not only the industry standard and what they'll lend to you, but also on what we recommend. So you're going to see a constant back and forth what they'll allow you to do versus what we recommend so you have healthy balance in your finances. Mm -hmm. So first, let's look at what the mortgage lenders will do. They use what's called qualification ratios, and they look at different ratios in your finances to determine how much they're going to lend you and how much you're able to borrow without drowning. Now, it's in their best interest to let you borrow as much as possible Without having you drown. Without having you drown, (laughs) right. So it's kind of a game of chicken. We want to give you a lot of debt, but not so much so that you drown and can't pay us. A little pressure is not a bad thing from the (laughs) bank's perspective. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's a little sad sometimes, Mm -hmm. but what we want is we want you to have plenty of margin in your life. So we're going to share what they're doing and then what we recommend. So every lender is going to use slightly different ratios. We're going to use some industry standards because most of them are within the same range. They're pretty close, uh, but realize that some lenders are going to be a little bit more. Some lenders are going to be a little bit less, uh, but these ratios are an average of the industry. So first and foremost, on the industry side, let's look at the rules of affordability. When the lender is looking at you, they want to make sure that just your mortgage Your mortgage, and when I say mortgage, it's broken down into your principal, the amount that you pay off each month on the loan, and your interest, the amount that you send to the bank to make them happy. So your principal, your interest, plus your taxes, plus your insurance. P-I-T-I, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, that your P-I-T-I that the payment is no more than 28% of what 
of your gross monthly income. Now, when I say your gross monthly income, you've got to look at maybe your annual income. Mm -hmm. and, and let's just use a very easy number. Let's say your annual income is $120,000 a year. Well, then your gross monthly income is $10,000 a month, right. 12 months in a year. So they're making sure that everything you pay in principal, interest, taxes, insurance, all come together and aren't more than 28% of that monthly income. Uh, so here's an example for an $80,000 combined gross income annual family. So a home that earns $80,000 a year, the mortgage shouldn't exceed more than the mortgage plus interest and taxes and insurance shouldn't exceed more than $1,866. So that's what they're saying for the PITI. If you got an $80,000 a year income, it shouldn't exceed $1,800 a month. So now look at your situation, look at how much your annual income is and begin to gauge a little bit where you're at. Now, the max housing cost is a little bit different. Mm -hmm on the max housing cost, uh, they're saying, okay, now you've got your principal, your interest, your taxes, and your insurance, but what about your water, your electricity, your internet, uh, your gas bill, all the other things that go into housing? They want to make sure that you're not going over 32%. Honestly, sometimes they'll let you go as high as 36%, but we're going to use 32%, and that's $2,100 a month. That's the max they want to see you doing. And on top of that, another ratio they're going to use is they want to make sure that all of your debts combined your mortgage, plus any credit cards, plus any auto loans, boat loans, student loans, that your monthly payments don't exceed 40% of your gross income. So again, in this scenario of an $80,000 a year income for a home, that's $2,667. Again, it's one of those reasons that Leo and I are always going to recommend pay down your debts because it'll make it a lot easier for them to lend to you. It'll make the process a lot easier. But B, you're going to create a lot more margin mm. back into your life. So let's look at these ratios. 28% of gross is what they recommend just for PITI, principal interest, taxes, and insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually they're going to have you going up to 32% for all in housing costs. And they'll let you go up even as high as 40% total on all your debt. Including the mortgage payment. Including the mortgage payment. That's great. I'm glad you broke that down because most people, when they go to try to go for a loan, they're looking at the finance and saying, I can afford this payment, but the bank is not just looking at the payment. They're looking at all these different things, yes. especially any additional debt. So if you have student loan debt, you know, some folks, especially young folks coming out of college now, student loans are, are a pretty big deal. The student loan debt has yeah. gone up and up yeah. and up, and now it's, I think, at $1.5 trillion. So uh oh, it's, it's massive. Yeah, It's massive. It's, it's really high. So uh, I think the average student loan coming out of college right now is around 33000 That sounds about right. Okay, so that's several hundred dollars. It's two to $300 a month. Mm -hmm. So you add that to maybe a car payment, which everybody's going to have to buy a vehicle, and if they don't have the cash, they're going to have a payment, even a small payment. So now you're looking at four or $500 in payments right there. Mm -hmm. And then you add a mortgage payment on top of that, and you can very easily get up to that $2,667, which is the 40% of this example that we use of $80,000. So it's so hard to understand sometimes why the bank is looking at these numbers. But when you really look at it from this perspective, you realize that they're looking at your ability to actually pay. Yeah. You may be able to do it, and you're thinking, I even have margin. However, 
you and I are big proponents because when you're spending just because there's money in the bank, you're leaving things out. You're not considering the investments you need to make long term. You're not considering the, the savings you have to put away uh, for emergency fund, for medical costs coming, all the other things that are, you're not billed every month for, yeah. but these things are going to come. And financial institutions are lending you these mortgages. They're looking at all of that and saying, hey, sooner or later, these expenses that you don't get a bill for will come. Yeah. And when they do, will you choose to pay the mortgage or will you choose to pay those <laughs> things? And if they're needs, guess what? You're going to choose to take care of those needs right. and probably put off the mortgage. And that's where they look at the risk versus the potential for you to stick to the payment. So they're always going to try to remove their liability and their risk throughout this whole process. Yes. And that's why these rules and standards are in place. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, they're good rules because they protect you from doing something absolutely crazy. But Leo and I are actually going to, at the end of this, yep. going to give you a little <laughs> bit tighter rules. Yeah, to we're going to make sure it that, even more <clears throat> difficult. Yes. yes. So <laughs> you might not love our tyrannical rule by the end of this, <laughs> but you know, 15 years or 30 years from now, you'll absolutely love it because we're going to help you save a lot of money. Yes. So let's talk about calculating how much house you could buy based on their rules. So right. let's plug in their rules and let's plug in some numbers and break down PITI and all these different mm -hmm. things. Yep. And so let's assume that you're looking for a home and you get a 30-year mortgage with a fixed rate of 4.5%. So again, that's about 4.5,000 for every 100,000 that you're borrowing. Uh, when you add the principal and the interest together, it's about $500 per month for every $100,000 that you borrow. So you borrow $100,000 to buy a $100,000 home. Your principal and interest is 500. Let's say you buy a $200,000 home. Well, now your principal and interest would be 1,000. In the scenario we're going to give you, we've already run the numbers, so we're, we're cheating ahead a little bit here. We're going to run this on you buying a $250,000 home because that is what they would recommend or allow you to purchase in this scenario. So they're saying if you earn $80,000 a year, you can easily buy a $250,000 house. Mm -hmm. That's their language. Let's see what happens here. So uh, that means that the actual mortgage, the principal that you pay to pay off the balance and the interest that goes to the bank, the mortgage is $1,244 a month. So $1,244. Now that's just to pay the mortgage. The state- This is, let yeah. me, because you yeah, said 250,000. Yes. We actually figured that it would have to be a $245,000. Yes. So yeah. two forty five. Yeah. The payment is twelve forty four. Well, and so so we talked about this. The actual math is on a two forty five, but I thought it'd be easier to say two fifty. Yes, but and we, here we've we are. Got some the details matter. Listening. The details yes. matter. Okay. And and they're going to be like, well, your numbers are all off. And, okay. And we don't want that. So okay. it is two forty five. Yes. And it is a twelve hundred forty four dollar payment. Okay. So that's exactly it. On a two hundred forty five thousand dollar house, a twelve hundred forty four dollar a month payment just for the principal and the interest. Now, we looked at Texas property tax rates because if you own a home in the United States, your state is going to say, hey, this home is on our land. We, the state, are going to charge you a tax. And not just the state, but the local government county is going to say, okay, this county says our tax rate is this amount. The state tax rate is this amount. The school system mm -hmm. has a tax rate. They're going to want their the, cut. Everybody wants their cut. cut. Yes. And so you have what are called property taxes. And that's just the taxes that you pay because you own property. 
which is a blessing to have property, but now you got to pay some taxes. So the taxes, we, we found out it's about a 2.4% rate uh, of taxes. So on $245,000 a year, that's $497 in taxes. So now per, you've got your per mortgage month. per month. Thank you per month. Mm-hmm. So now you've got your mortgage at about 1244 plus your taxes at 497. Then what happens if your home ever catches on fire? If it ever floods, floods, not always covered by basic insurance, but hail damage, you're going to need to buy insurance mm-hmm. and the lender is going to require yes, you yes, they are. to buy insurance because if you ever uh, have a cat- catastrophe at the home, they want to make sure the insurance will pay for it to be rebuilt so you could sell it again and get out of that loan. So the, the actual insurance is going to be $1,500 a year mm-hmm. on this home, which turns out to be about another $125 a month. And I'm going to recap these in a minute, but I'm just giving you these numbers. Now, other housing expenses, if we're putting this all together, uh, they're saying it would be around $267 Honestly, that's not a whole lot when you mm-hmm. look at electricity and water and gas and internet and cable. Electricity can be $150 a month easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, water can be $100 a month. Gas could be 40 or 50. Internet, easy 50. So, so even then, they're not giving you a lot of margin for your other housing expenses. But now let's run this down. $80,000 a year income, $245,000 home, the mortgage is twelve forty four, so I'm gonna say about twelve hundred dollars. The property taxes is four hundred and ninety seven. That's about five hundred. The insurance is hundred and twenty five dollars, and other housing expenses are two hundred and sixty seven dollars. So the total of that is gonna equal to their max housing cost of thirty two percent of your gross. That's twenty one hundred dollars and thirty twenty one thirty three. Yes. Right. So that is that's the number that they would recommend that you're spending over two thousand dollars a month on the gross. Uh, you know, basically, when you're looking at your gross income of eighty thousand dollars a year, you're you're spending about two thousand one hundred and thirty three dollars yeah. a month. It's basically, thirty two percent of that gross income. Yes. Yes. That's what the twenty one thirty three represents. Yes. So really, what they're saying is. Out of your eighty thousand dollar income, twenty one thirty three per month goes just toward your housing costs, which is thirty two percent of your income. Now, if you multiply that times twelve, that's twenty five thousand five hundred ninety six dollars. That's mm. how much money you're putting toward your house out of the eighty thousand. Yeah. Now, remember, that's before taxes, before any other expenses. So, a big chunk of your money, thirty two percent, is going there. We actually have done the numbers and say that that's actually higher than what you can actually afford because yeah. they're dealing with gross. Yes. And this is where the I think the I don't I don't think it's intentionally done to harm anyone, but they're trying to work with numbers that people understand. That's what the bank is thinking. Well, the typical buyer they know what they make per year. And when they're looking at your pay stubs, they're looking at gross income. They should be looking at your net income. Because yeah. that's what you actually have. Yeah. But they don't. And again, that's an industry standard because everybody pays different in taxes and different credits and all those things. So they have to go with that standard. But what we want to do is clarify this a little bit because I think for a couple who would get into this kind of deal, Mm -hmm. they would be really tight because their actual net income or the net percentage of their uh, yearly income is going to be much higher than 32%. 
Yeah. Okay. So now we're getting into the gross versus net. So a, a normal couple that earns $80,000 a year, Leo and I began to break down. We made some assumptions here, but let's assume that they're paying about 12% in their federal taxes every year. So you're going to pay 12% in federal taxes. Plus you've got FICA, you've got your social security and Medicare is going to be about another 7%. We rounded it to a total of 18% that they pay in taxes every year. Uh, now, everybody's going to be a little bit different. We're not saying that that's your scenario. But if they pay 18% in taxes, that means they actually take home $65,600 a year. So their actual take-home pay is $65,000. And if you divide that by 12 their real monthly take home is about $5,467. And that's before any retirement, which we always would include saving for retirement. So 5,400 bucks a month. If they're recommending $2,100 a month in housing, mm -hmm. that's 40%. It's 39, but it's 40% of your net income going to housing. And for Leo and I, that's just, it's crazy. I'm just telling you right now, you might not know where that looks in the spectrum, but that is a lot because that only leaves 60% uh, left for all the things that you need for saving, for food, for gas, for transportation, for clothing, for all the other categories that you have in your budget. 40% is already gone right off the bat to housing. And another 30% on the low end is going to go just toward housing and transportation. Yeah. So 40% is going to housing. Sorry, I said housing and transportation. I meant food and transportation. Yes. So 40% is going to housing. And 30% is going to transportation and uh, food. Mm. Now you have 70% of your income going just to those three. Now there are typically nine categories in your budget, main categories, and there's yeah. a bunch of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So now you've got the other six vying for 30%. Yeah. So that's 5% per. And and honestly, that's just not enough for some. And if you're, you know, you and I are big proponents of saving for retirement, and we say, you, you know, you need to save, get to a point where you're saving a minimum of 15%. Yep. Right. Well, how is that possible? Yeah, because it's not, it's because not. you've got you've got forty percent going to housing. You've got another thirty percent to transportation and food. Mm -hmm. If you had fifteen percent going to retirement savings, that would leave you nothing for clothing, nothing for buying gifts for family, nothing medical, for medical. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're just going to get killed. So this is what we see happen: is people come, they sit down with us, and we've counseled literally hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. Not to not to overstate, but literally no. hundreds of people where we've sat down across the table. And we see 40% of their net going to housing. I've seen 45%. I've seen 50%. I've seen 60%. I've seen some crazy things. But at 40%, we immediately know yeah. what's really killing them is the house. And it's time for them either to increase their income or to look for new housing opportunities. Because if you're at 40% of net, you're squishing every other category and you're going to feel uncomfortable. You're just, oh, yeah. you're going to feel miserable in your finances when you hit that 40% number. You know, what's really scary for me, David, is that what I see is people who say, well, you know, we're doing okay. We're, we're paying the bills on time. Everything's fine. And to a degree, they're right. They are able to keep their lifestyle where they're at. Occasionally, when there's an emergency, they might dip into a credit card or something like that to get through it. But even if they have some savings and they're able to do it, what they're sacrificing is the long-term saving. Yeah. That's the part they're not doing. And that's why when you look at our savings rate right now, it's at 2.8%. Yeah, as a nation. Right? Yep. I mean, we were at 55 almost double just a year ago. Yeah. So what what's happening is not that we're not able to pay our mortgage payments. Sure we are. 
but at what cost? Yeah. And what we're trying to say is, why not purchase a home if you're in the market to purchase a home or looking at purchasing your first home or even your second or third home? Why not purchase something that easily fits into your budget where it only takes up 30 to maximum 32% of your net income rather than your gross? Yeah. Because the bank will lend it to you, but it really puts shackles on you, and yeah. it makes it very difficult to have a long-term financial uh, well-being you know all the way to to the end of your life yeah and and that's where the struggle is is because somebody will be living at that 40 percent of net just in housing and then they'll buy a vehicle that's a little bit overpriced and they're not saving for retirement they don't have savings in their medical and so they're able to make their payments for a year two years but as soon as an unexpected medical thing hits or they're out of the job for one month because of a, a minor surgery and they just can't work for a month now they've missed a whole month of income, and now they miss their car payment, their housing payment. They get behind another month just trying to catch up. They're two months behind. Their credit cards are stacking up. And that's where usually people come and sit down with us, mm -hmm. and we've got to begin to dig that back out. Yeah. And it takes time. But I'm telling you, we're saying this because if you're in that scenario, you're not alone. And we have worked with people on countless occasions helping them dig back out of that. So don't have any embarrassment. Don't have any fear. We're not here to make you feel bad. We're letting you know you're not alone, mm -hmm. but we're going to help you set up a plan for the future. And if you're a first-time home buyer uh, or you're listening to this with a goal of how do I get great at money, we're going to give you those percentages and we're going to help you get there. That's the point of getting money right so that you can pursue the things that you love to do, the things that are in your heart and the house is easy to pay every month and the car is easy to pay every month so that you can go do what you love, you can serve people, and you can have the most exciting fulfillment in your life mm -hmm. instead of having stress about money. Because money, it's just not worth it. It's not worth all this stress. No, that no. The extra the extra bedroom, the little bit nicer neighborhood, it's not worth all the stress. <laughs> when you really compare the value, you can have a uh, less expensive home and still have the same value. You can have a nice home, even if it's maybe a few hundred square feet smaller or it's in a different neighborhood. So let's talk about so, our recommendation yeah. for this scenario because <laughs> yes, we just proved that with the what what the bank recommends and what the bank would allow, you would be at nearly forty percent of your net income wrapped yeah. up just in the housing cost. Yeah. So let's talk about these exact same people mm -hmm. at eighty thousand gross and their sixty five thousand dollar net income, which is doable. I think most people can live on that, yeah. especially in our area. But what, what's a safe loan? Yeah. And how much yeah. should they be spending in this different areas? Yeah. So the way that you discover this is it's going to be unique to each person. So we're going to give you our basic guideline. But let me tell you how I got there. Went to leosebo.com. I went on to the resources. And under the resources, you've got how to create a budget. Uh, so creating your budget, that tool in the second tab has a bunch of percentages based on your lifestyle on what season of life you're in. And so if you're a married couple, it's got percentages based on $50,000 a year, $100,000 a year, 150. It breaks down by 25,000. Uh, and it's got it for single parents. And it's got it for an individual with a roommate, an individual without a roommate, uh, a family of four, a family of six. So it'll break down based on your actual life scenario. But what we're going to do is I've, I've bought, got, pulled it up right here, leosebo.com slash resources, downloaded the creating your budget tool, clicked on the second tab over. And now that I'm looking at it, if we're looking at a married couple mm -hmm. earning $80,000 a year, it's saying that they should spend 30% of their net income on housing. Now we're recommending 30% of net 
versus 32% of gross. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about your take-home pay versus your gross pay. And as we begin to break this down, again, 80,000 would be the gross, 65,000 would be the net. That leaves a total of 1,640 for housing every month instead of the 2100 or almost 2200 a month. So it's a $500 difference. Let's see what you can buy for this 1640. At 1640 per month, you could do a $170,000 loan. The mortgage would be $861. Now the mortgage makes up your principal and your interest. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do the PI, the TI, principal interest. Then your property tax would be $340 on this $170,000 loan. Your interest would be 100 or your insurance would be $110 and that's actually going to leave you $329 for your electricity, your water, your gas, your internet. Now we're leaving $329. The recommended only left 267, which is about an $80 difference, $60, $70 difference. So we're giving you more money so you can't have internet, so you can use electricity, so you don't get super tight on the water. And you've got it all under $1,640 a month. So it's a $170,000 loan. You can't buy the $250,000 $250, house unless you put $80,000 down. Yeah, you, you always can. could do that. <laughs> you could always do a big down payment. <laughs> sure. So let's say you did a 20% down payment. Now I'm getting into some rough numbers. But let's say a 20% down payment was around... $35,000. Well, that means if you took your 35,000 plus this $170,000 loan, you could get about a $200,000 home, have room for some closing costs, live in a very comfortable home at $80,000 a year. Now, $80,000 a year, I say that because that's two individuals making $40,000 a year. Right. Um, you know, you could have somebody earning 20 and somebody earning 60. 80 is not insurmountable. Uh, it takes a little time. It takes a little effort in your industry and your career growth. But we're using 80 as an example. Uh, so you could live in about a $200,000 home spending $1,640 a month, and that's only 30% of your net. And now you've got a lot more room for all the other categories. That's perfect. I love the breakdown because I think it helps people to understand the difference. It is a $500 difference, but it's 500 per month. It's a $6,000 difference. Remember earlier I said that it costs 25000 and change for this housing cost for yeah. the, this couple. So they're reducing that by 6000 They go from twenty five five to just yeah, around 19000 19, yeah. And that may not seem like a big deal. But believe me, it's a big deal over 30 years. Yep. It's a huge deal over 30 years because that's the difference between investing for 30 years at five to $6,000 yes. per year, which would be a tremendous amount of money at the end of <laughs> 30 years. You're looking at millions of dollars yeah. versus not having millions of exactly. dollars just because you got an extra room. <laughs> and really, that's the difference we're talking about. And if you really look at what you're getting, sure, a $250,000 or $280,000 home would be nicer, maybe in a nicer neighborhood, but the value... I think it's the same. Yeah. You still have a roof over your head. You still have a place to sleep that you can cool, you can heat, you could still have internet, you could you still have the basics. And I think you I think it's it's worth making the sacrifice to potentially live in a home that's less expensive, maybe in a slightly 
less desirable neighborhood. I'm not talking unsafe. I'm not talking about a place that's not worthy of your family to live in, but just slightly different so that you have a better life. So you have more financial security, not just now, but for, for the long haul. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just, you inspired me, Leo. So I looked up, if I were to put in $500 a month into a retirement savings, now that's 6000 a year, which mm-hmm. is the difference that we're talking about in yes. housing here. If I were to put $6,000 a year into retirement savings from age 30 to age 60, now that's the 30-year mortgage. If I were to do that for 30 years and I return 10%, which is a little bit it's not, it's not improbable. You could actually get 10% on your money. It's kind of the, what the market has done over the past hundred years. It may be a little high, so you might want to go a little over. If it was 10%, mm-hmm. you would have a million dollars at age 60. At age 70, you would have $3 million. Mm-hmm. So this is the difference. We're talking about a million to $3 million in difference just by that $6,000 a year. Yeah, it's significant. And again, that's what we see over and over and over again is folks who either buy too much home or have too many uh, expenses that lose the margin that they have. And unfortunately, it, uh, it creates a lot of problems. Well, I hope that was helpful. I know we got into some of the numbers, and that can be somewhat somewhat hard, especially if you're listening to this, uh, to, to really see these. But our suggestion is just work some of these numbers and realize that the bank is going to give you more money than you should probably borrow. And <laughs> yes. our suggestion is just start with your net, Use the spending guidelines to find out what a good monthly amount for your housing cost is and start from there. Once you know that, average your your utilities and that'll give you a good number for what your mortgage property taxes and insurance combined should be. And you'll be safe. You'll be at a much better place. All right, let's talk about shopping for your house. Now that we've gone through, should you buy a house, the, the financial side of it, how then do you find one? How do you shop for a house and how do you find the one that's right for you? First, determine what you need and what you want in a house. Understanding the difference between what's a need and what's a want is important because once you start looking, you'll need to prioritize needs over wants. There's always more out there that is available, and again, we want to stay within a good budget. You have to get all of your needs, but can skip on some of the wants, especially if the budget doesn't allow it. So start with your dream home. Think about where would it be located? What size would it be? How many bedrooms, bathrooms? Is it a two- or three-car garage? What size lot or backyard? Do you want a big backyard, a small backyard? Do you want a swimming pool? All those things are part of buying a home. Now, based on the price you know you can afford, you can begin searching for a suitable house. This is where a real estate agent can really help. Yeah, the real estate agent is going to help you look for the things that you really, truly want. You know, you're looking at this dream home scenario and and how can you get the most for what you can afford in the area that you want? And having somebody on your side is really helpful. Uh, It's a lot better than going it alone because these are the experts that dig into this every day. Now, realize you might need to end up compromising a little bit based on a number of scenarios. One, you might need to increase your commute in order to get a little bit bigger and better home Mm -hmm. that meets more of your wants. It crosses stuff off the list that's really important. Uh, So for me, it's important that my commute isn't more than 30 minutes, but right next to my work, the homes are a little bit more expensive. And so we were able to go a little bit further out and get a lot nicer home, a lot newer home and a lot bigger for the same amount. And so it it made sense. You know, we compromise a little bit. We still go a little further out, but not more than 30 minutes because that would drive me crazy. (laughs) Uh, You know, compromising, realize you might get a slightly smaller house. You know, do three bedrooms instead of four bedrooms, but get it in the location you want, the neighborhood you want, uh, the school district that you want. 
decide that you'll add the swimming pool later. You know, maybe you've always wanted a pool, but decide that's a, that's a later thing. That's okay. You know, just, it's called contentment. It's called delayed gratification. And, and, and just let it be for the future. Uh, get an older home in the area that you want. Sometimes if it's older, uh, you can begin to slowly do updates over time, but you can get in a lot cheaper rate. So focus on those value items. Yeah, and the other thing about making that choice is that if you're buying, they say buy the smallest house in the best neighborhood yeah. because you can always add, you can always improve it. The price is low. But yet, as you update it, it'll grow in value because of the neighborhood. So if you're a fixer-upper, that's another way that you can get in in a slightly less expensive home and then add some value through some sweat equity. That's a great way for young people to do it because, let's face it, if if you're good with your hands and you can do some of the stuff, you can put some of that personal touch that you want to put on rather than just buying a cookie-cutter home that's made the way it is. And 10 years from now, it'll be out of date anyway. So it does give you that flexibility, and you can get in at a lower price. Yeah, that's good. So let's look at some of the value items, things that are kind of a value added that a lot of people look for. What are some of those things? Yeah, so items that add value include dual pane windows. This is something to keep an eye on. If you buy in an older home, realize that those windows, if they're 20, 25 years old, they're not doing as good of a job as they used to. Yeah. And chances are, if you're in that house long-term, you're probably gonna have to replace them at a significant cost. So consider that when you're buying. It's it's also something that's going to come up. So uh, dual pane windows are a high value. Granite countertops, hardwood floors, more land. That's People like that. Nice landscaping. Of course, with landscaping, realize that it's nice when you buy it, but if you don't maintain it, it'll turn ugly really <laughs> yes, quick. Yes. So it's, it's more work too. So keep an eye on that. Uh, a beautiful view. You know, sometimes a view is worth oh, yeah. quite a bit. And then top-rated school districts. Those are some of the value items that are important because those things are going to keep your property value high and more than likely your property will increase in value rather than decrease. Yeah. So if it's your first time to buy a home and just in general, uh, Leo and I would say it's typically worth finding a realtor, somebody that has the ability to buy and sell homes, understands the market, understands the area. And when you're looking for a realtor, you're looking for somebody who's an expert in the area that you're looking. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're looking in a certain city, find a realtor that specializes in that city. If you're looking at a certain neighborhood, find the realtor who sold the last 10 or 20 homes in that neighborhood and knows the neighbors and knows the best locations and knows the school districts and can walk you through that. So finding a realtor can be a little bit of a a journey. Uh, It's not always easy. Sometimes you can ask friends. But you don't want to just end up with a family member or a friend that just got into the business and isn't really motivated to push through and get the job done. You want to be looking for people that come out with raving reviews. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, my friend or I just bought this home and it's the same guy that my friend used and his friend used them. And we all sold our house in five days, 10 days. You know, we see quick movement. We see somebody who's a go getter who's willing to sit down with you lay out a blueprint or a book on how they're going to help you buy the home, how they're going to help you get into the home, how they're going to help you find the right um, lender, lender, how they're going to, everything that they're going to do. You want them to educate you, especially Mm -hmm. if it's your first time. You want to feel like this is the kind of person who cares about you and will teach you as you go through this process. Yeah. And there are different types of realtors because when you say realtor, you're really talking about a licensed real estate agent that is a member of the National Association of Realtors. Uh, This requires additional training for these folks. It's above the license requirements uh, that all agencies must meet. Uh, Realtors complete ethics course and exams and also make a commitment to uphold the association's ethics standards, which are 
really more stringent than both federal and state law. So make sure that you're finding a qualified realtor. The realtor should take time to educate you in the process so you understand every step of the transaction. It's their job to make sure that you, as a newbie perhaps, or somebody that's new to the area, know exactly what you need to know and you know exactly what you need to do in the whole process. So they should be really, really forthright in educating you through the whole process. Yeah, it'd be great to know what the school districts are like in the area you're looking. Uh, Are they highly rated? Is one elementary school surprisingly two times better than the one that's just half a mile down the road and which district are you going to be in that stuff matters uh determining am i on the right side of the train tracks or the wrong side of the train tracks you know funny enough you know ashley and i live just on the other side of a set of train tracks Mm -hmm. and thankfully we've got three exits so if the train is ever blocking us in there's three ways around it but it's important to know that what if there's only one exit and you always have to wait for the train no matter what or if it ever stops you're stuck or one side of the tracks is known for not being as well maintained as not having as good a school district so when i say the other side of the tracks it might be the other side of the pear tree it might be the other side of the walmart whatever it is in your (laughs) district or your area but but for us it's literally tracks so it's kind of funny so just be aware um when you're buying a home you're looking at something that leo and i would recommend would be something you're there for at least five years Mm -hmm. do the research in advance take time to get to know the area so you're buying a home you love yep that's good all right So we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. And if you enjoyed it, please rate it, review it. There's five stars at the bottom of your app and it's easy to click on there. Leave a little comment saying whether you appreciated it, what you learned, so others can eventually engage and subscribe as well. Check us out on iTunes, Google Play. Any app now is running the program and we're proud to have that. You can also share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, like and follow us. Uh, We'd love to have you be a part of the personal finance conversation. You can shoot us a personal message. You can go to leosabo.com. And while you're on leosabo.com, you can find more content and all the episode notes. So if you want to go back and look at the numbers that we were talking through, we're going to have them listed out. We're going to have the websites listed out. So it'll be easy for you to follow along. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we can keep getting money right. One of the best ways to keep your finances healthy is to keep your housing costs as low as possible. Having a lower cost mortgage payment and for a shorter period of time will free up money you can save to ensure your financial future.